We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. If you brought your Bible with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we will be. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, and if you are joining us online, you will find the scripture on the screen of whatever device uh, that you're tuning in. So again, that's John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. As Joel has already mentioned, we are beginning the season of Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent in the Christian calendar, looking forward to uh, the Christmas celebration with anticipation. Uh, Advent is a season of waiting, uh, where we join with the Israelites of old in their waiting for the Messiah to finally be revealed. And all the prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, the Messiah, the chosen one that would come and set things right, that they were looking forward to for centuries, centuries full of uh, hopelessness in many ways, centuries full of quiet from God, or at least apparent quiet, silence from God, centuries full of looking for that Messiah, and finally that he would come. And we celebrate Christ coming on Christmas. And so as we enter into this season of waiting, we do so in a unique and fresh way in this year, a way that none of us would have chosen, but a way that is new to us nonetheless. The idea of waiting has taken on a new meaning in this year. And we have been waiting since March for all of this to be over, thinking in March that all of this would have been over much more quickly than it has turned out uh, to continue to exist and exist and exist. And we're looking forward now to maybe soon all of this will be behind us and we await that day. Waiting has taken on that kind of new quality. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting for things to resume to the way they used to be, or at least get back to some semblance of normality. I'm tired of waiting through all of the different things that are going on as not only just the like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't go do this, I can't go do that, but the damage that, that this season has done to families, to people in waiting for all of that to be behind us. It's definitely taken on a new meaning. And it is in that time of waiting, especially when things are difficult, that this first Sunday of Advent is important. On the first Sunday of Advent, we celebrate hope. And when we are waiting for something to happen, something to change, something to better the situation around us, hope is a primary gift that we have from God. Something that we should hold on to with everything that we have. Just as the Israelites awaited the coming Messiah, we await the second coming of Jesus. We await the time when he will come back and judge the living and the dead and set everything that is out of order into perfect order to make all things right and to finish what he started when he came in Bethlehem on that Christmas day. We await that time. And we do so with a sense of hopefulness, knowing that even as we do wait, God is with us through the Holy Spirit. Even as we do wait, we have things to rejoice over. We have things to be grateful about, as we've talked about the last several weeks. And we wait with that feeling of hopefulness, not hopelessness. I want to read some lyrics of a song to you real quick. Um, John Mark McMillan is one of my favorite songwriters, Christian songwriters, songwriters, period. 
Uh, and if you don't know that name, he wrote uh, the song, How He Loves Us, uh, that the David Crowder Band made famous several years ago. Uh, we've sung here before. Um, has a lot of really good, uh, really good songs, really good lyrics. Uh, I would encourage you to follow him if you're looking for Christian musicians to follow. But anyway, John Mark McMillan has a song from an album several years ago uh, called Between the Cracks, where he talks about hope. Uh, and I want to read the lyrics of the first couple of stanzas to you uh, because I believe it's a beautiful depiction of what hope really is. Here are the first couple of stanzas. Hope grows between the cracks in the asphalt and the downtown ghetto streets that contour the government housing intentions of my heart. And no one notices that daisies don't care about gang-related violence. As long as they get enough air and water and sun, they'll be just fine. Now, I would imagine as John Mark was writing this song that he was in a downtown ghetto environment, that he was looking at that inexplicable flower. And you know the flower that I'm talking about, that manages to, in a, in a sea of concrete, somehow pop up between the cracks. He didn't even know there was a seed there. He didn't even know there was potential for life there. But this flower, not only does it burst forth from the cracks in the concrete, but it gives beauty in a dismal situation. And as he's seeing that, and imagine these words are coming to him as only they would come to a genius songwriter like himself, when he realizes that it's, it's just like hope, and though our, our hearts are like this downtown ghetto sometimes where it just seems like there's nothing but cynicism and concrete that's there, that hope finds a way to grow between the cracks, that hope finds a way to pop up in the most surprising situations. And it doesn't matter how much chaos is going on around it against the downtown ghetto environment. As he says, the gang-related violence, the daisies don't care about that. As long as they get enough air and water and sun, they'll be just fine. And the same hopefully can be said for each of us and the hope that we have in Christ. And it's not gang-related violence for us necessarily, but the chaos around us, that even though that's the case, hope always springs forth from the heart of a, of a believer. Hope is always present in the heart of a Christian because wherever Jesus is, there is reason to hope. And there's something we can remember in this season of waiting that we enter into metaphorically during this Advent season, but also literally during the season of life. As we await the end to this, as we await for things to get better, for good news to come, we can hold on to hope. And wherever Jesus is, there is reason to hope. So again, this morning, I'm going to read from John's gospel, the second chapter. Before I do that, let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us right now. God, we thank you that you sent your son for us, to us, dressed in our skin bearing the same burden, but magnified by infinity that we carry. God, that you know our heart, you know our hurt, you know our pain, and God, that in the midst of that, you chose to come to us and to give us hope. So God, we praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And God, we pray that even now you would come again to us as we know you are already here among us through your Holy Spirit. God, that you would remove whatever distractions are in our heart and mind, God, so that you might 
speak to our spirit, our heart, through your Holy Spirit and through your word of truth, and that you might, through that truth, do a work of transformation within us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 2, again, verses 1 through 11, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Some quick context to this. The Jews, the Jewish people, knew how to throw a good party. And the biggest, one of the biggest parties they could throw was the wedding feast. It was an all day affair. When we think of weddings, we think of going to a, a church or a venue and sitting in, in, in pretty chairs and watching a beautiful ceremony, uh, listening to a pastor or an officiant uh, have the, the, the couple exchange vows, uh, maybe a, a reception and hearing some people speak about the, the bride and the groom and, and then maybe, maybe some dancing or some things after that. Uh, and it can be a half day event now. And, and when you talk about waiting, uh, everybody's experienced that waiting that happens at a wedding reception. Am I right? Where uh, the pastor dismisses everyone and says, hey, uh, you know, go ahead and make your way to the reception hall. Uh, you know, you can sit down, you can hang out. Maybe there's some hors d'oeuvres or something there. Uh, the bride and the groom are gonna take, and everybody knows the word, pictures and everybody goes, oh no, we're going to be sitting forever and waiting. And so there's some waiting there as well. But, but you know, it's kind of a festive thing, but it's also this, this like holy thing and it's a beautiful thing. And, 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 and even though it can be a big event for us, it, I, I don't think it really compared to the Jewish wedding ceremony. Uh, it says that it was in Cana in Galilee. You get the idea, especially by the amount of wine that's talked about later in the passage, that this was a big party. There were six jars, uh, over 30 gallons in each one, 20 to 30 gallons in each jar that Jesus had them fill to the brim. So there's 120 to 180 gallons uh, of water that Jesus turns into wine. There's probably a lot of people at this thing. Uh, you would imagine all of Cana, most likely, showed up to this event. They all probably knew each other. These towns, most of the people stayed in their town for the most part, unless they had to travel on a very rare occasion. All the business was done in town. Uh, their friends were in town. Their family was in town. Uh, and so they just kind of stayed to themselves for the most part. And so you can imagine everybody showing up, like this ideal serene picture of Mayberry we might have in the American consciousness. You get this kind 
around a kind of small town idea of Cana in Galilee, that everybody was there. Everybody knew each other. Everybody was excited for the bride and the groom. Everybody was excited for the bride's family and the groom's family. Uh, this was a, a time of celebration, a time to party. A time they didn't have to take pictures. They didn't have cameras. They just partied the whole time. And everybody was with each other the whole time. Uh, if you know the passage where Jesus talks about going ahead and preparing a room for us, Jesus is borrowing from the Jewish marriage rituals that a bridegroom, the man who knew that he had a, a woman that he wanted to marry, picked out, ready to go, betrothed, he would go to his father's house and he would add on a room. He would build a room. Once the room was complete, he would come back and get the bride and that's when they would have the party. That's when the marriage ceremony would actually take place. And then they would move into their folks' place. I don't know, many of you might not like that idea, but move into dad's place and start their life together. And this was the beginning of that, was this celebration, this party that they were having together, the entire town, everybody knowing everybody, Jesus himself, probably knowing most, if not all of them personally. You know, there's something that often gets overlooked in scripture. I've talked before about how Jesus' intellect gets overlooked, about how I believe he was the smartest man to ever live, and we see that in the way that he could uh, tell a story uh, that had so many layers and meant different things to different people, the way that he could quickly turn a phrase on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, ask a question back to the question that they ask and leave them dumbfounded. Uh, when he finished in the Sermon on the Mount, people were astonished uh, at his teaching because he didn't teach like anybody else they had ever heard before. He was something different. His intellect was off the charts, but another aspect of Jesus's personality that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough is that I think Jesus liked to have fun. <gasps> is that blasphemy to say that? That Jesus liked to have fun? I would even say, and I didn't put it in these exact terms in the first service, but I would say in this one, Jesus liked to party. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, I knew we'd have some partiers in the house. Jesus liked to party, and I have some bad news for you if you're not a fan of a party, because I think heaven is gonna be one big, long party. Uh, a party that like all the negative things that you think about when you think about party, go ahead and subtract all of that, okay? And then all of the fun things that you think about when you think about party, you can add that back in. Jesus knew how to have a good time. And Jesus made sure that the party didn't stop. Now, we can get hung up on, well, does this mean we should drink alcohol or we shouldn't? And you see that question, the text questions too? This would be a great thing for us to talk about on Facebook. I'm not gonna talk about it here. I'm not gonna answer that question because I don't think it's the main thrust of the passage. What we see in Jesus's actions though, is that the party was about to stop. The celebration was about to stop, but until his mom came to him and said, hey, son, they're out of wine. And I almost kind of get like a tongue in cheek kind of feel when Jesus responds to her because he does go ahead and do something. It's not like he says, it's not my time. I'm not doing anything. She comes to him and says, hey, son, we're out of wine. He says, mom, it's not my time yet. And then she looks around at everybody else in the room and says, fellas, do whatever he tells you to. And then what does Jesus do? He does what his Jewish mother tells him to, right? He goes and he fills up all the jars. He tells them to, he gets everybody together and they make sure there's plenty of wine left. And it's the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Jesus is fun. He likes to have fun. He, he, the way that he would tell stories, we get the idea that Jesus actually had a sense of humor. Again, if this is news to you, I'm sorry that the church has kept this from you because Jesus, I think, was not only a smart guy, but a funny guy. When he talked about how hard it is for a rich man to get into heaven, he said it is harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. 
Now, again, you say, oh, that's bad news. I got a lot of money, but I want you to look at the humor of that word picture. Imagine a camel being shoved through the eye of a needle. Jesus was making a hyperbolic statement in order to make a point using a humorous sense of irony in order to show how we need to rely on him and not our own earthly wealth. There was another time where he said to a bunch of holier-than-thou people that you strain a gnat and swallow a camel. He was talking about how people would strain their wine to make sure there wasn't anything in it and how you go to the point of straining a gnat, but you miss the camel that's sitting in the wine. Jesus had a sense of humor. And I fully believe that when he was telling stories and preaching that there were times when people chuckled. There's another story where about the, a, a wicked servant um, where there's, you know, many, many of you know the story, the parable, where there's a man who owes an ungodly amount of money. Uh, something like 10,000 or 100,000 talents. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was basically like Rome didn't even have that much money altogether. He owed that to his master. He went and told his master, I can't do it. I can't repay. Uh, I, I, can't, I, can't ha- I don't have that much money. The master forgives him. And then he goes, with, uh, uh, he goes to another man, the wicked servant does, who owes him 100 denarii, which is basically a couple months wages, and, and punishes him for not paying him back. Now, again, that's a sad story, and it shows us about greed and how we should be forgiving. But the idea of somebody having that much debt, like more than the national debt, we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars worth of debt in modern-day terms, that would have been comical. And somebody would have said, like, Rome doesn't even have that much money. People would have laughed out loud the first LOLs when Jesus actually said those words. He had a sense of humor. Jesus was a fun guy. You heard it here. If you've never heard it before, at least you've learned something from my time with you. Jesus was fun, is fun. And Jesus wants his children to enjoy life. I think that Jesus probably personally knew the people getting married. And he makes sure that their celebration can continue. The party will go on. Despite everything you've ever heard, I see no scriptural basis for an uptight Jesus. Nowhere. If you find that scripture, go ahead and text that to me there too. Because I don't see anywhere where there's room for an uptight Jesus. Instead, Jesus in scripture in the gospels is the one who consistently makes the uptight people uncomfortable. He's the one who challenges the norms. He's the one who leaves them saying, well, this Jesus guy must be a drunkard and a glutton because he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. All the while, Jesus keeps going over to Zacchaeus' house. All the while, Jesus keeps standing up for the least of these, the ones who are really in need, the sick amongst us, which we all are. Jesus consistently upset the norm Jesus consistently challenged the uptight. Uh, As the old saying goes, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. He was not afraid of challenging the uptight folks in the room. I've had, we've had different people throughout uh, the time that I've been a pastor uh, and worked at church for nearly two decades now. Goodness, I'm getting old. I can't believe that phrase is coming out of my mouth. But nearly two decades now, um, we've had people give us all kinds of stuff. We have a big uh, how, uh, wall in the house with crosses on them and different gifts. And it ranges anything from crosses to 
Texas Longhorn paraphernalia. Uh, and, and when I see those objects, I think about the stuff that people have given me. But there's one, and I, and I don't even really know where the, the paper is, but it's etched in my mind and it will be forever. Uh, the first church that we served at, uh, a student there who was just two years younger than I was, uh, or two or three years younger than I was, because I was a brand new pastor at the time. Uh, at one point during our tenure, he drew a picture. He was an excellent artist. He actually produces uh, comic books now and does several other movie-related activities uh, in a business that he has. Uh, but anyway, he drew a picture of Jesus, and it's not the, the typical picture of Jesus. When you think of a picture of Jesus, you think of like a Renaissance-style, you know, uh, Jesus with a, if he has any kind of uh, emotion on his face, it's only as much as Mona Lisa with a little smirk, or uh, it's Jesus bearing grief on the cross. Uh, you, you don't ever see Jesus bearing any like wonderful emotion, but this picture was of Jesus with a big, toothy, laughing grin on his face. It's one of the, my favorite pictures of Jesus I've ever seen. And it was drawn by one of our members. And when I see that, and I think about that, it changes the way I hear so many of the stories about Jesus. Uh, especially the times when Jesus would go to someone's house and eat dinner with them. You, know, you usually think of Jesus sitting there in this holy aura around them, angels singing some, some wonderful song and there being light and, and the chiming of, of, of wind chimes or something in the background because he's so holy and otherworldly. Yeah, Jesus was completely God, but he was also completely man. I kind of think it would have heard like, you know, like when you're at uh, a restaurant, Chili's or something, and there's a table like on the other side of the room having a good time. I kind of think maybe the room would have sounded like that. Like there would have been slapping on the back and telling of jokes and Jesus laughing and, and, and maybe even delivering some great one-liners. Uh, again, not at anybody's expense, but delivering some great one-liners and, 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 and listening to people enjoy the presence of Jesus. I, we don't think about that kind of thing nearly enough. I think Jesus laughed. I think he joked. I think he kidded around with his disciples. Jesus wants his children to enjoy life. And again, in this passage, we can get hung up on the alcohol argument, or we can realize that Jesus wanted to keep the party going. He saw that they were having such a good time, and he didn't want it to end. When we've come to the end of ourselves, Jesus gives us more. You remember the school dance when you were an eighth grader or in high school? Remember, maybe this is just me. And if it is, that's okay. I'll embarrass myself. But uh, I had an uncle who would DJ all of those school dances. And I knew always, almost always, without fail, the last song was going to be, say it with me, by Garth Brooks, the dance, right? It was going to be, that was the let, ended every 90s dance when you were a kid. Can I get an amen on that one? An amen for Garth? Uh, but anyway, I remember the dance was going to come. It was going to be the last thing. Nobody really listened to the words and thought about how somber of a song it was. You just knew that was the last song. And so, you know, that was the time that you as a junior high boy were trying to get up the nerve. Okay, if I'm going to ask this girl to dance, I got to do it by this one. Uh, you know, and, and there's probably five other guys thinking the same thing you did. Uh, and they always beat, the, you know, you to her. Uh, and, and, and so you, you wanted the, the thing to end because you had all that anxiety, but then you, you didn't want it to end. You wanted it to just kind of go on or, or any kind of party that you've ever been to. Uh, you know, you look at the clock, and, oh man, we got to get home, we got work tomorrow, we got to pick up the kids from the babysitter. You're just having a blast and you don't want that time to end. You know what that feels like when you just have to go because uh, you, you just have to, you don't want to, but you just have to, whether it's family or friends or whatever it might be. When that kind of feeling comes, guess what? With Jesus, 
that feeling doesn't have to happen. Like the party doesn't have to stop. There is no end to the goodness of God. There is no good to the fun that we will have in heaven for eternity. There is no, 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 nobody that's gonna come in at the last second and shut the party down. There's not gonna be some Debbie Downer that ruins everything. There's not going to be anything that shuts the party down. No, the party, there ain't no party like a Jesus party because a Jesus party don't stop. That's what I wanted to say. That could have been the whole sermon in one shebang from a 90s kid, you know what I'm talking about, but that is the truth. A Jesus party don't ever stop, and it won't. And that's why when I'm waiting on that party to start, and when I feel like, man, I can't wait for this thing to kick off, that's why I can have hope in bleak circumstances. That's why I can have hope when things aren't going well, when this doesn't feel like a party, or when this feels like one of those parties I wanna blend into the background and get out, I can have hope. Because I know that one is coming that will beat all the parties before it and that won't ever stop. And when we come to the end of ourselves, just like they came to the end of their supplies, they knew they had to turn to Jesus. His mom knew that, had to turn to Jesus. And when we come to the end of our joy, when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I can't muster hope in this situation. I can't make myself magically feel better or smile. I can't make myself get rid of the frustration and anxiety that seem to be all-encompassing during this time. No, you can't. You don't have the power to do that on your own. But there is someone who can. And here's the really good news. Even though we are waiting for that final party to start, there's already a pre-party that started. Because unlike the Jews who were waiting on the coming Messiah, for us, he's already come once. And not only that, when he ascended into heaven, he left a helper behind. And in Acts chapter two, he comes in his fullness. But speaking of course of the Holy Spirit that is available to each and every single one of us that Jesus tells us can live within us and can be among us when we gather. And so if that line, if you really believe it, that wherever Jesus is, there is reason to hope, if you really believe that, that means that there is reason to hope today, tomorrow, yesterday, no matter how bleak things get, no matter how frustrating things get, there is reason to hope because Jesus is here within us or among us and here within us. And he will never leave us without that hope, without a future. So let me give you two words of application as we close up. First, this Christmas season, this Advent season, celebrate with abandon. If you want to sing the Mariah Carey song that everybody says they hate, all I want for Christmas is you, sing it. Don't care what anybody else thinks. So you're bebopping along in Hobby Lobby with your mask on or whatever, and they start playing it, which I'm assuming, I haven't been in a Hobby Lobby in a while, but I'm assuming they've been playing Christmas for the last 15 months. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you're walking along, just, just enjoy it, man. Sing along. As I, like I told you last week, don't apologize for listening to Christmas music in 2020. You can listen to it the whole year if you need it. Celebrate this with a sense of abandon, because here's what we celebrate. Like, 
God loved us enough to send his son to come to us in our skin, to bear every temptation and every frailty that we have, to do it without ever sinning, and then despite his perfection, to give himself up on a cross of sacrifice, bear our punishment upon himself, and free us from the power of sin and death so that we can live with him forever and ever, and that we can have an abundant life today. That means a life full of joy and hope today. Jesus came to bring that for us. That's what we celebrate during Christmas. So celebrate it with abandon. Put up the lights, sing the songs, drink the cocoa. Whatever it is that you do to have fun during Christmas, do that. Celebrate with your family. Squeeze every ounce of fun out of this season that you can and know that it's all thanks to him and it's all about him. Celebrate Christmas with abandon, with hopeful abandoned. And then share that hope with others. We have a a practical opportunity for you to do that, those of you who are interested. I had 25 bags here. I think there are 14. No, I gave away 14. So there, yeah, 14, 14. We gave away 11 in the first service. I think there are 11 here. Um, What these are is there's a bag filled with just random goodies that Cheryl picked up uh, from the store. Uh, Like this one has some towels, toilet paper, of course, because it's 2020, uh, and uh, some uh, hot cocoa and some other things in it. It's just random. Some of them have popcorn and stuff like that. Um, and then there's another bag that's empty. And what we would like for you to do is take both bags. Obviously, they're tied together. Uh, you make one on your own, and then just go gift these to somebody. Uh, it could be somebody you know. Uh, it would kind of be cool if it was a complete stranger, too. Uh, do so let the left hand do this without the right hand knowing what it's doing. Like try to do this anonymously if you can. Uh, leave it on somebody's doorstep. I know if there's a ring, they're probably going to see you. That's okay. Uh, just leave it on their doorstep or hang it on somebody's gate. Uh, and inside of it, inside of each of the bags, both the one with the stuff in it and the one that's empty, um, we have a card in it that says, if you want to know, if you would like to know why you received this gift, please visit. Uh, And then there's a website underneath that. uh, And it will bounce them uh, onto a page on our website uh, where there's a video uh, talking where I share that these people are loved by Jesus, that he cares about them, and that we as a church care about them too. Uh, And so it's an opportunity to share the love of Christ, uh, to do so in a socially distanced and responsible way, uh, and to uh, to just uh, give good things to people uh, and, and just share that spirit, share that hope. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, like I said, there's 14 bags left. Um, there's a whole stack of the green notes though, if you want to do this on your own. Uh, you could even get an envelope uh, and put a gift card in it and then stick that on somebody's front doorstep with one of these in it. Uh, but it's just an opportunity to make someone's day, make someone's season a little brighter, uh, and hopefully to give them an experience to encounter the gospel of Jesus uh, and uh, maybe join our body here as well. Um, so, There's a practical way. Like I said, you can do that on your own without any of this. Uh, You pick up one of those things and put it in whatever you create if you would like to. But again, the thrusts. Celebrate Christmas with hopefulness, with abandon. It's okay to have fun even though this year has been hard. And then share that hope with others. Let other people know that it's okay to have fun even though this year has been hard. There is a time when this will end. And even as we wait, we do so with hopeful expectation because Jesus has come, he's still here, and he's gonna come again. During our time of 
invitation and response this morning. Uh, uh, go ahead and, 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 and see this as another opportunity to give praise to the Jesus who has given us this hope. And maybe begin to seek God's face on who he wants you to gift, who he wants you to extend hope to. You don't have to do this. This is just one way. You can extend hope other ways. Maybe allow God to lay that on your heart, lay names on your heart. And if anybody here does not have a saving relationship with Jesus, I, I want to tell you that there's nothing more hopeful than having a personal relationship with Jesus. If you want to know what that looks like, you can talk to me while I'm down here and we're singing this last song together. Or after the service, I'll hang around in this area and you can come talk to me then. And if you need to pray about anything at all, whether it's related to this sermon or not, again, I'll be down here to do that with you and around after the service as well. Uh, you can pray right where you're at. You can come at the uh, steps here and kneel and pray if you would like to. Pray, uh, pray uh, with the person sitting with you, however God leads you. Uh, let's just stand together. I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in our last song. And as they do, would you just uh, move in whatever way God's calling? Father, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for how good you are, for the good things that you've done for us. And God, for the fact that no matter what's going on, we can have hope in you. That you are here among us and within us, even now. And in spite of all the chaos, we hope in you that you will come to us in our time of need and that one day you will set everything right, something that you've already begun to do around us if we'll look. God, you get the glory, you get the praise, you get the honor. God, speak to us now, we're listening. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.